Hello, and welcome to What a Picture, a movie podcast where we go through the sight and sound greatest films of all time, critics poll week by week, and discuss what makes a great film great. I'm Hannah. I am Brian. And today... Hey, hey Brian. How's it going? Hello. We are <laughs> recording in different rooms in the same house for audio purposes, which is always funny. Uh, yeah, we we switched to that recently, and I I honestly don't know. I don't edit the podcast. I'm sure it makes it sound better, but I do miss you. Yeah, it's more so for me that it's uh, harder to keep my concentration if I've got sound coming through my headphones and then also in the room. I know. I mean, normally, like me being in a room with you, that's your focal point. I know. You know? It's just yeah. you're all on me. And, you know, part of the reason we started this podcast, I mean, one of the kind of ways we talked ourselves into it, it's like, well, if we're going to be watching these movies and talking about them anyway, we should just record it, mm-hmm. which we're doing, but we're not like talking about them conversationally in front of each other. Maybe we should get like one of those COVID like sc- like glass screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Remember the pictures of the schools that would like have those big like plexiglass dividers mm-hmm. between the desks? I hope they worked, but um anyway. Anyway, yeah, I did my research and apparently you're supposed to get like closed back headphones over your headphones. Um and I got those and they still don't block out enough sound where I still get um yeah, distracted by yeah. the room noise in addition to yeah. Well, so, it's also because you anyway. hear them speak and then you hear the little bit of the delay and then hear them in your microphone mm-hmm. so or in your headphones. Yeah. It's and fine. then the other problem is the microphone, your microphone was picking up me talking. So I was hearing an echo of myself, which is awful for concentration. You are quite loud. I am quite loud. Yeah, this is a problem. This is a known problem. <laughs> That's why I always boost your audio a little bit higher when I'm doing the edits. Ah, interesting. I thought it was just because I had microphone. really, really, really smart things to say. Oh, well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's just an inner, inner <laughs> workings of the What a Picture podcast team. Yeah. Um, Brian, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about Le Dolce Vita. Um, Federico Fellini film from 1960. I hope some of you uh, were able to find a way to check this out. It's a little uh, more difficult to find. We were able to get it from our library, which was great. But there's not been a Blu-ray release in the States, at least. Um, there has been a DVD release, but it's out of print. That's the one that we got from our library. And then it doesn't appear to be available digitally either, from what I can tell. So a little difficult to track down, but I'm glad we did. Yeah. I I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's get into <laughs> we're uh we're gonna do the plot summary. Not that this movie has a great deal of plot anyway, but we're gonna summarize the plot sort of as we go through talking about some of the sequences but wanted to get your initial thoughts first on the movie eh, it was fine <laughs> i mean i i i loved the fashion i loved the settings um i loved their veil or unveiled marilyn monroe-esque character mm-hmm. um 
you know, Marcello wasn't like, we'll get into all of his escapades, but he wasn't the anti-hero that I want to get behind. He's kind of yeah. a dick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, I... It, it was fine. It was fine. It was a good movie. It was way too long. I was very tired. <laughs> Brian and I got like our body weight in. There's a <laughs> there's a local um, Chinese buffet really close to our house that you could do carry out by the pound. Like mm-hmm. you get your little tray and you just put whatever you want in it and then you pay for it. And it was like, I think 30 bucks for both of us. It was phenomenal. Um, and so I ate a lot of that. So I was just like tired and full and was like, I just wanted to like, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't in the right mindset, but this movie wasn't my favorite movie we've ever watched. Yeah, I quite liked it, um, particularly once I and and part of that was that since we were watching the night before recording and as I was getting a sense for, oh, this movie is doing something that is structurally complicated. Um, yeah, I started doing a little bit of research while we were watching Um to prep for the podcast in the morning and so i was able to get a sense of like the structure and and things to like get my bearings a little bit while we were watching i I love an intricately structured movie that's going for it in that way so um i enjoyed it particularly towards the the back half as i saw some of the choices that were made but i was also getting quite tired as well so I, yeah, uh, I get that. I don't. I mean, honestly, I I like the structure of this, like the where uh, Brian, you refer to it in the um, in our outline as cycles. Like it's got, you know, this story, and then sometime later the next story, and then sometime later the next story, um, yeah. and it's all centered around this guy Marcello and kind of his. Oh, I can already tell I'm going to like this movie more. Or once we talk about it for an hour yeah. or so. This yeah, always that's happens. Sort of the sense that I uh, was uh, getting. Yeah. <laughs> this so. always happens to me. We I'm like underwhelmed and then I hear my thoughts about it and verbally process it for an hour and then I like it more. Um <laughs> <laughs> what does that say about my own sense of self? Anyway, I um I like that. Like I I a continuous narrative that goes like deep into the future. It's not just said at one time, like a Godfather, mm-hmm. like something like that. I really enjoy that. I think for some reason, maybe it's because it's got a slow start. It's another language, whatever. It took me a bit to realize that that was what was happening. And so all yeah. of a sudden I'm like, wait, who are you? Wait, what, what, what's happening? Where's that chick? You know? Yeah. And I think that obviously is more to show like Marcello's, detachment from any sort of real type of relationship or Mm -hmm. desire to be loved the way that people around him maybe would prefer to love him he just chooses to be a butthole the other thing about this is there's quite a bit of repetition with the cycles that it's structurally doing the same thing in each cycle and there are really seven of them so seven times so if you're you know the the repetition is built into the structure and theme of the movie in such a way that some might find it tedious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and the, the movie is, is almost three hours long as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tough hang. Um, but I, 
I liked it quite a bit. I respond to this is very Antonioni-esque as well in the... Uh, Love Insurer, which we've already watched for the podcast, is our buddy Antonioni. Yes, and I believe released in the same year, which is fun. So Italian cinema is turning a corner at this point. Um, we can get into a little bit of uh, Fellini's career with that as well. So he actually, a fun fact, he worked at an entertainment magazine uh, in his early 20s before getting involved in filmmaking, which I think informs some of the stuff in here where uh marcello is a bit of a um sort of sort of like him he's identifying something in himself so that was interesting uh his most beloved films come in the span of about 10 years from the mid 50s to the mid 60s this one is 1960 so just sort of smack dab in the middle of that he trained under Roberto Rossellini, who is an Italian neorealist director. Was um, Isabella Rossellini related to him? Yes. Uh, oh, really? That's her, fine. Yeah. Uh, she's his daughter. Yep. Well, remember Isabella Rossellini from um, Blue Velvet. Absolutely. And, and that one episode of Friends. Mm-hmm. And then 30 Rock later in life. She's mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Rossellini does have a film on the Sight and Sound 100, Journey to Italy, starring Ingrid Bergman, the mother mm. of Isabel. You'll remember her from Persona. Wait, no, that's Ingmar Bergman from, he's the director. You'll remember Dang her it. from Casablanca. Thank you. God. There it and is. They are not related, Ingmar and Ingrid. Uh, we are, they actually did a movie together called Autumn Sonata that's quite excellent. But yeah, she's uh, Swedish, uh, therefore the, the similar last name. Um, but yeah, we're getting to the point now where we're, we've done almost 50 movies. And so there's a lot of reference points to keep track of. Is it fun for you guys to listen to that? Just me interjecting, completely you know, <laughs> derailing Brian's train of thought. You're welcome. No welcome worries. to our marriage. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, he so he trains under Rossellini and he starts out with a little more of a neorealist style. Maybe you'd characterize it as like poetic realism. And then he moves further away into that, into more like art films, which is what I somewhat this this doesn't this film doesn't necessarily belong to a super prominent movement that I could see like the French New Wave. But it um I sort of think about about it in the same category as like an Antonioni or Bergman, this, you know, late 50s and early 60s art film boom that's happening concurrent with the French New Wave, but doing some different things. Um, so he sort of moves away from the neorealist style. La Dolce Vita was a huge, massive hit both locally in Italy and internationally. It won the Palme d'Or. It won Best International Feature at the Oscars. Fellini actually did quite well at the Oscars. He won Best International Feature three times during that uh, 10-year span. Um, And so, yeah, this was a big deal at the time and has continued to be beloved um, over time as well, so um that's sort of the the history here um i'm surprised that it hasn't gotten a release in the u.s yeah uh, you think it'd be like really easy to find or something but 
yeah but n that's not the case so hopefully someone can uh can get on that and and make it available for us so um the themes of this movie before we get into the cycles which is going to be the bulk of what we're doing but because of the so it's essentially seven cycles of evening into dawn and it's really driving home the repetitive nature of life emptiness isolation stagnation marcello doesn't really progress he's different by the end of the movie but there's it's more that he's been broken down by the six cycles and particularly the last cycle that comes before the seventh one and i really propose a different thing that him. happened to him sure i think that he was just not a good person in situations that he felt like n normal people do like have the girlfriend doing the professional thing and he just kind of realizes he doesn't want to have anything that isn't indulgent and fun and interesting and so hmm. the last cycle is him just fully letting go of any sort of like morality mm -hmm. or connection with the people around him and fully descending into his own level of selfish dickheadedness i believe yeah. is the professional term it's like a psychotic uh, breakdown sort of thing it's i think it's more one. of just like a i don't think it's a psychotic break i think it's more of just like divulging into who he actually wants to be hmm. which is fine if you want to be a horrible person you just maybe should think about the damage you leave along the way yeah Jerk. i mean we'll we'll <laughs> certainly get into that once we get into the seventh cycle but steiner yeah. the the steiner murder suicide taking place right before that sequence i think is significant in what it does to marcello that's how that's i fair. read it at least that's fair i guess yeah good friend kills both of his kids and himself that's gonna mess up a person <laughs> but it's yeah. not like marcello has been normal for the rest of the movie so i think yeah. your reading is equally valid um so that's sort of the 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 structure so um you get Sometimes it starts during the day. Sometimes it starts at a night. In any case, we get a long night's events that lasts typically until the following morning. And then the dawn sort of disrupts whatever's been going on. Sometimes what's been going on has been like dreamlike and great. Sometimes it's been nightmarish, but the dawn interrupts it and changes it in some way. And so that happens sort of in each cycle. Um, and we can talk through how each cycle does that and, and what it's trying to do. But that's that's the structure of this movie um, to begin with. So ready to get into the cycles? Yeah, let's do this thing. All right. So our first cycle is pretty introductory. It establishes the structure and some key characters. Um, you do, before this cycle, you get the flying Jesus with the helicopter. So that's a bit of like an introduction. There are other sequences intercut beyond these cycles, but the cycles are the main part of the movie. Um, so in the evening, Marcello meets and sleeps with Madalena. Uh, in the dawn, his fiance Emma overdoses. Girlfriend? Marcello. 
girlfriend maybe i saw fiance yeah. somewhere but i don't know that i was stated in the movie um i think she refers to herself as his girlfriend okay cool so anyway she overdoses he visits her in the hospital and declares his love for her but is still trying to call Madalena. um so that's sort of the first cycle here it establishes just you know you get the recurring theme of paparazzi here you get some of these key characters but i don't know that there's a lot to say about this one beyond just it's you know first act establishing stuff yeah i think just a honorable mention of how <laughs> so madalena and marcello basically meet this like random person and they're like hey we'll give you a ride home basically so they could use this random person's home as their little sex den <laughs> and then pay them the next morning. So I think it's just kind of like, I don't know. Madalena, you learn throughout the movies from a lot of money, um, has some sort of like socialite status. Um, so they're definitely both of this like upper crust of society. And they're kind I mean, this person they meet is just like an everyday person. Um so I think it just shows a little bit more of the frivol frivolity of their lives and their willingness to, I guess, use people. I don't know. But yeah, I agree. I think this is a very establishing cycle. Um, and I think something that really, really hit me is when um, when Marcello finds Emma having, you know, poisoned herself it's it's you know you get the normal dialogue of like what have you done what have you done and then he says things like i can't believe you would do this where they get like you didn't think about how this would affect me am i you know everyone's gonna know like very mm -hmm. he jumps so quickly to very very selfish reactions of how like her overdose could affect the public perception of him and his reputation yeah. um like way too quickly and i don't want i mean i know that like when people are experiencing trauma and like I don't want to say he's not allowed to say those things because you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth when someone who you mm -hmm. presumably love have a, have a fondness for let's say yeah. that um does something like that but it was just very like ew buddy like you can maybe think those thoughts mm -hmm. sure whatever but like to yell at her and blame her for that while she's dying it's kind of a yeah and he know. doesn't feel any guilt for not being there and sleeping with another woman while this is going on. So he is he's established as a terrible person pretty much from the get-go here. Right, right. Poopy. He's a poopy person. Mm -hmm. So next cycle, cycle number two. I will get out of the way and let Hannah talk about this in a moment. But <laughs> <laughs> so we meet Sylvia played by Anita Ekberg. Um, she arrives during the day. Paparazzi is crowding around her. She's really magnetic. Night of partying with Sylvia. Uh, Robert, her uh, husband, I believe, um, is oh, another boyfriend. Um, is not having it uh makes a snide comment that leads to sylvia sort of storming off marcello follows her and they share sort of a romantic gallivanting around town um that leads to like a romantic moment in trevi fountain they never actually kiss 
that I'd oh. seen. So, oh, Sylvia, Sylvia knows what she's doing. Yeah. Uh, but they, she sort of sprinkles water on his head and then the fountain sound like fades out over time and the dawn interrupts it. Um, so they're like still in the fountain, but the magic is gone basically. And then Ooh. they go home. Robert hits Sylvia and then beats up Marcello. And that's sort of the, the thrust of this sequence. So what did you think of this one, Hannah? Um, I thought Sylvia was so aspirational. <laughs> so mm-hmm. she basically is, she's an American starlet, like the boobs and the blonde hair and the big eyes and this just like way she glides around. I mean, it was like thinly veiled Marilyn Monroe um, mm-hmm. impersonation or, or, or homage, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. And she's in town to do this like big feature film. So you meet her when all of the press is like meeting her off of the airplane. And so you've got this just swarm of photographers around her and she's like, like, that's her fuel to survive. Like she is just eating it all in. She is glamorous and beautiful. You see her getting off the plane, doing all the press shots. You see her at this like, I guess it's like a more private press stop where there all these different interviewers are asking her questions. Every answer is exactly correct. You know, what do you wear to bed at night? She says two drops of French perfume. You know, like it is just <laughs> I love it. I love her. Um, you, She just knows what she has to offer and uses it to get exactly what she wants. And mm-hmm. I, you got to love a queen like that. Um, so she. um. You know, Marcello is infatuated with her. He somehow has the position. I mean, he's a journalist, but he somehow has this like position to kind of be able to be her escort. Like, I don't know if it's yeah. that he's trusted within the industry. I don't know kind of what gives him that level of um, authority, but he um, you know, is dancing with her at this party where you've got this really fun like magical dance number and the whole time he's just like laser focused on getting all of her attention on him um and she gives him some like she'll exist next to him while he declares his love at one point he said it's like you are everything you're everything um and she just kind of bats her eyes and keeps dancing but she doesn't walk away like she she has this way of of keeping him attached to her like a magnet but never giving enough of herself to him where he can ever have enough power over her so he attempts to kiss her multiple times she trails off and runs around finds a cat goes in a fountain like (laughs) i love the kitty (laughs) the kitty i mean there's a point where she so she's it's almost like she seems manic in a way but i don't think it's that i think she just like has her her femininity and her sexuality have been her superpower and gotten her where she needs to be and she has them so finely tuned to get exactly what she wants out of people i don't know exactly what she wants from marcello I don't know if she's wanting to use him to make her boyfriend jealous i don't know if she just like can't help but collect men's affection um yeah but she definitely well, I mean, like- he's just following her. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like she is trying to 
seduce him throughout this. No, she's she not. But I mean, magnetic. she just yeah. she just is magnetic and she lets it happen. But I mean, there are points yeah. where it's like she'll storm off in the middle of the Rome streets without knowing any Italian. And it's kind of just this assumption that a man will run after her and make sure she doesn't run on into traffic. You know, there's definitely yeah. this like assumption that she will be protected by the men around her, um, which, you know, careful, careful, Sylvia. But um, mm -hmm. it's. Yeah, I I just found this so interesting. I think also this is the first time that we really see Marcello not have power um not be in the position that he wants to be in kind of be at the like the i mean he he's the the simp in this situation yeah um which was fun to see because during these press tours like during the stuff he's on the phone with emma and emma's like hey come home emma his girl his girlfriend and he's like mm -hmm. oh you know i'll be home i have to do this and you kind of see her a little bit like you know desperate for him um it's not a good look but she does love him and you see him kind of brush her off over and over and over again and yeah. you kind of want to see him not get sylvia yeah yeah this one to me there's this sense more so than the other cycles and i was sort of expecting it to follow this pattern after this but there's a sense of like magic and mystery to the evening that then the hard reality of the dawn hits and that the dawn always interrupts but it's not always like reality versus fantasy like the evenings can be just as depressing in some of these cycles as the dawn not so in this one this evening is like magical dreamlike mystical stuff and yeah, it's, I mean, it's really iconic. The sequence in the fountain is quite famous. Um, I liked the uh, stuff during the day at St. Peter's as well, where she, they, a news reporter complains that she's an elevator because she's like storming up the steps faster than anyone yeah. else can uh, in the dome. And then Marcello uh catches up with her and they look out over the the square so there's definitely this like romanticism in this um sequence that then you're expecting to come back throughout the movie but the movie is just sort of spiraling downwards from here yeah absolutely um, and sylvia never comes back i was a little surprised by that um that this is the only cycle that she gets yeah i think I think that was another reason it took me a bit to connect with the movie or never feel fully connected with the movie because I couldn't understand like I knew it was a story about Marcello but I thought it you just kind of see him weaving in and out of mm -hmm. various not even relationships or or women but in and out of different things that could be fulfilling for him that mm -hmm. are ultimately empty um and so you kind of expect some sort of like recurrence yeah. And it took me a bit to realize that's more of like, here's a situation, here's a situation, here's a situation. Mm -hmm. um, You're expecting progress because that's right. what we're trained to watch for in movies as things to progress the plot to move forward. And it just continues not doing that. <laughs> yeah. It so. continues not. That's fair. <laughs> continues not. Um, <laughs> 
cool. So, and then the the fountain stuff, particularly with the evening turning into dawn, the mm. filmmaking there is really good. There are only a couple of moments where it's like, oh, wow, the filmmaking is really excellent here. Other than like the, uh, besides the um, writing, I think being really excellent throughout the like filmmaking choices and cinematography mostly are um, to service everything else. Um, I did want to talk about this movie's depiction of Rome because I think it's most present here in the second cycle, but throughout you really get a sense of the place. Um, I think I turned to you towards the end of the movie and was like, this movie is just making me want to visit Italy. Yeah, Brian and I are actually going to Italy. Uh, we haven't bought our tickets yet because we have to talk to our our child care workers, aka Brian's parents, at Christmas. <laughs> but we're going to be going in like April, May. Um, and yeah, I'm already like, okay. I've been told that we just need to spend the entire week in Rome by someone who's from Italy. Brian's like, eh. so we've got some 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 discussion to have, but I think we could definitely get lost in Rome for couple months actually they were like how long you they were like how long are you going for and i'm like a week and he's like absolutely not that is not enough time (laughs) (laughs) again you know he's like most people want to do like rome venice florence amalfi and like do it all in one week and that's not the way to do it and i'm like well yes (laughs) i would love to stay for three months but that's clearly not an option so (laughs) yep that's tough, but yeah, it, it looks quite, it definitely has a sense of place. Fellini loves Rome, and it really shows, um, but all of the locations here, it's, again, you know, doing the same thing that Antonioni does throughout his movies of the setting being very, very important and showing you what it's like to be in a place while the plot is not very important. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting uh, filmmaking choice to make, to make it all about place and not about plot. Um, Absolutely. But one that I, I tend to like. Um, so. All right, let's move on to cycle three. So cycle three um the way I've structured it, which is different than how others have structured it. So, but for me, cycle three is the Madonna stuff. So children have cited the Madonna and a crowd sort of gathers around them for religious reasons of they've seen the Madonna and there's something mystical happening in this location. And um, eventually the crowd sort of, um, while the crowd is dispersing a little bit of a a trampling incident happens and a child is killed in the pandemonium um and then the the sort of dawn sequence is them having a little bit of a like morning it's not really a funeral because it's the very next morning but it's in the same place of just like mourning this child um so yeah, what did you think of this cycle? Um, 
I'm sorry, reading your last note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian has written down religion could be just as debased and tragic as the nightclub scenes. <laughs> yeah, I think Fellini is turning here to like what might you turn to to find meaning in life? Are yeah. you gonna the cycle three is religion, cycle four, family. So beyond like love romance what might you turn to and he's still finding emptiness there at least in the way that this uh religious happening of seeing the madonna the crowds and paparazzi are just as present here as they are in the uh stuff with sylvia and really it you don't find meaning through this madonna sighting at at any point and it just ends in tragedy so absolutely so that's yeah. sort of what i meant by that <laughs> that's fair that's fair um yeah i really did not get this scene at all yeah I mean, not for you it was just i yeah i eh, i didn't connect with it i i'm sorry i wish i had more to say but yeah yeah <laughs> I liked a couple of the details here of the children say that the Madonna has sheltered herself under this like little tree sapling thing. And then the crowd like is ripping branches off of it and like can't they're they're so, you know, enthralled and uh, causes just like this pandemonium. Uh, this like religious fervor um that i thought was a, a really fascinating portrayal so right i liked this one um i think it adds uh another dimension to it but um i get why you didn't respond to it as much yeah it does have another dimension i just felt like it was quite disconnected yeah, it, it is a little separated. I mean, you get a little more stuff. So Emma uh, is there as well with Marcello. And so you get a little bit of there, but you don't really get any progress in, in their story. So it really is separated. Yeah, that's fair. All right, cycle four. So this is the one with Marcello's father. Um, he visits and they go to basically this... Uh, uh, cabaret that he's heard of and they see an ex-girlfriend of Marcello's Marcello's father is sort of fascinated by her and seduces her and then they uh, go off on their own but then she runs out and, and tells Marcello that uh, his father has had some kind of medical incident probably a heart attack um, and so then the dawn is Marcello caring for his father and then his father seems to be doing okay and determines to take the first train out of Rome. Marcello wants him to stay, but his father leaves. So that's sort of cycle four here. What did you think of this one? Um, I thought this was heartbreaking. This is probably yeah. the one that connected with the most. I think that like, I mean, Marcello and his father clearly don't have a very close relationship. And I don't know culturally, like, mm -hmm. what, how um, novel this type of situation is or was expected to be. But um, I think of how close I am with my parents, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I just, it breaks my heart. 
Um, Marcello Mar- mentions that his father has been gone a lot. Yeah, well, um, he also mentions like childhood. there was a point where he's like, you know, it's Marcello's watching this thing happen. He's watching his dad yeah. like seduce this girl, and it doesn't matter that she's an ex girlfriend. Like he clearly holds his relationships loosely, mm-hmm. but. It's that he watches this thing happen and he's he knows that that's a thing that happened his entire childhood. But Marcello was on the other side of it for for his entire childhood where he watched his mother be in tears because mm-hmm. her husband was always gone. And he's realizing his mom probably knew about the adultery. And so I think it's his reckoning of like, this is, you know what he did my entire childhood this is probably why i don't form proper attachments with people because i didn't have that mo- maybe he's not that self-reflective but um i think he's kind of seeing the like the culmination of wanting a life that is like expected of someone where you know the the spouse the kids the job you know all the things the structure that is expected of this linear path but then also having this dual life of someone who um, is more free to to explore, you know, whatever they want. And he's kind of seeing it unfold in front of him. And I think this is kind of a point where Marcello realizes, like, I have to make a choice between, you know, d- devoting myself to one person and one life or living a life of freedom. Um, and by freedom, I mean, like, sleeping around. Um yeah. Either of those things are fine, but I think he's realizing maybe he can't have both, which is good. You can't have both. And if you want one or the other, have one or the other. Um, But having both results in the hurt that his mom, he got, he had to witness his entire childhood. Um, And so I think, you know, when his dad um, has whatever sort of episode he had, you can see that that Marcello kind of like um, regresses to this, like, you know, daddy don't go like this very much of like, you know, stay here. I'll take the day off work. We can spend time together. Like he really kind of just fully regresses into a child again. Um, So I definitely like, I, I really hoped that Marcello would turn around after this sequence Um, I really thought that like, okay, this is going to be his like come to Jesus moment of realizing like, I, I can't be like my dad. I love my dad, but I can't be him. So I'm going (laughs) to be better. And then he didn't, I mean, logically, like how, if you're not, it's really hard to like reset cycles. And if you're not modeled, you kind of follow what you're modeled and if what's modeled for him is what his dad is like it's going to be really hard to reset that cycle and he's clearly not not going to do that so but yeah marcello yeah so it does it is the one cycle that you feel the most sympathy for marcello for sure yeah um so and where he seems the most you see his humanity the most um, and that he's sort of messed up because of his childhood. Um, Yeah. And the other thing that I noticed was that this is like the darkest evening sequence where the dawn is almost sort of a relief (laughs) from the darkness of the, 
the evening. So it's like an inversion of cycle two where the Sylvia stuff is dreamlike and magical and magical and the dawn is the harsh reality. I mean, for Marcello's father, the dawn is the harsh reality of a heart attack. But so you do have that like switch, but for from Marcello's perspective, like the the dawn is where he connects with his father the evening is like oh no this is a nightmare scenario sort of thing. right right um so yeah i i thought it was heartbreaking for sure yeah yeah i don't know i i've been thinking a lot just about i mean not specifically in my own life but just like what attachment looks like and how it's really hard to progress from I don't know. When you don't experience like true love and comfort and safety, like how do you actually live a life that pursues that without ever having known it? And I would say I don't want to like progress or put too much on Marcello that he's never experienced love or happiness or safety, but mm-hmm. this it could does sort of seem that way though. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he did from his mom, but he also got to witness his mom or had to witness his mom not receive the love that she wanted but maybe his mom wasn't as loving as he deserves i don't know it's uh because yeah. at the end like i feel like this movie makes you i mean i loved emma i thought she was so funny i thought she was mm-hmm. just like i mean a little bit depressing because she wanted him to be so much of someone who he wasn't um yeah. and they were explosive i mean they were never gonna make it but you wanted so badly for him to like see the error of his ways and then like turn around and devote himself to her. Mm -hmm. But he was never going to do that fully and he would never be able to. And so you hope everything, you know, like I really wanted him and maybe that's just me being a completionist and me like Mm -hmm. wanting people to like, and no, you don't have to get married to live a full life. Like, of course I don't want to put like my choices on other people, but you just witness him experience this emptiness over and over and over again. And by the end of the movie, he's just fully divulged into the emptiness. Yeah. And he's just like, not only empty, but he's like mean, you know, it's not just like him doing it to himself. It's like kind of created a person who is just like cruel to the people around him. Um, I don't know. I'm not about it. Not about it. Marcello. It's interesting that you wanted him to end up with, uh, Emma, I sort of thought he was going to end up with Madalena, and that's what I was sort of wondering throughout. Like, is that the direction that this is that like the happy ending for Marcello? Because I think she's maybe a little bit better of a fit. Like, she understands him a little bit better. Um, I mean, I think I think Madalena is like an infatuation for him but it's too mm-hmm. closely tied to the emptiness of what he's yeah. experienced you know like i don't think she's not she a could... life preserver in a way yeah yeah way that maybe if he reconciles with emma it yeah. Would be. yeah but at the same time like if you don't fix yourself you can't give or receive love properly so like i don't really want him to be with anybody Mm -hmm. until he act until he gets his act together yeah (laughs) you know especially emma who like has her flaws like of course she's not perfect but she truly is so willing to devote herself to someone 
that like give her someone who treats her right I think she could really have such a full life of love and maybe release like she was just so desperately grabbing at every little parcel or or crumb of love that Marcello gave her to the point where she was so afraid to lose him that she put up with so much garbage and I think a lot of people can relate to that when like you are in a relationship where you love someone more than they love you um that like the concessions you're willing to make to hold on to them um are so great and that's that's what's happening with with uh emma that if she were in a situation where she felt safer she could kind of like release her tight-fisted grip on that person and just kind of rest into like the comfort of security but she never had that with marcello all she had was love for him but never had never was able to believe then the love that she received was actually love and actually devotion. It was just like a warm body who told her the right things. Yeah. Anyway, I'm projecting probably, but yeah, no, that's uh, watching movies as a series of projecting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, literally and figuratively. Hey. Yeah. I see you. All right, let's move on to cycle five. This is the castle sequence. So I thought this one was really funny, particularly when they first get to the party at the castle. And it's clearly been going on for hours and everyone is just like. (laughs) So over it. (laughs) Because, uh, yeah, we've, (laughs) I'm sure we've all been to parties that are sort of like this where like it's like winding down and no one's having fun anymore uh so yeah party at the castle uh madalena is there um marcello and madalena sort of gallivant off uh eventually marcello ends up in a different room that has like an echo chamber with where Madalena is. And so they have this like conversation, but they're in different places. There's a really emotional conversation. Madalena proposes marriage. Marcello avoids the question, but then declares his love for her. Um, and then Madalena starts macking on this other dude who shows up. And because Marcello is in a different place, like he just like stops hearing her and then ends up sleeping with another woman. Like they go off into he and and a group of party goers go off into another section of the castle and he sleeps with this woman, Jane. And then they Jane all Jane with the of... fantastic bride of Frankenstein hair. Yeah. Just just a little yeah. uh also appears to be American. I think. Ah, we love an American yeah. lover. And then uh in the 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 dawn is like the party ends, they come back from the section of the castle, uh, and the mother of the family that like owns the castle is leaving for mass, and so you see this like religious procession sort of thing. Um yeah, what did you think of this cycle? Um I I also really thought it was a funny one that they um they show up at the party late, everyone's tired and falling asleep. Um and they uh I don't know. I I I thought it was just really funny that they kind of like 
trying to revive the party. Everyone's really dull. Everyone's really boring. They try to do this like series of escalating just like situations, you know, let's go ghost hunting and let's go do silly things and let's try to like <laughs> yeah. keep the magic of this fun alive. And then it ends, the party ends and they're still just feeling empty and sluggish. And as they leave is the the uh, lady of the house or whatever, um, yeah. kind of like, <laughs> you know, just... <laughs> I mean, it was it was filled with judgment, but it was also just like, "Oh, you kids have fun," you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, I thought that that was really funny, just again to like show the emptiness of what they're doing and how like try as you might be desperate for fun and adventure, like it's still you're still it's still empty. Um, but then the scene with uh, you know, Madalena confessing her love for Marcello um through the like secret whispering yeah spot uh, it made me think of that how i met your mother thing but yeah um i think like it was such a vulnerable spot for marcello cuz yeah. he's hearing these things and he's wanting to like reciprocate the emotion and the de- and and the adoration devotion mm-hmm. that's being said but he can't see her he he has no idea where she is. He has no idea how he can hear her, who can hear him. Um, but he's still willing to be vulnerable. And mm-hmm. then you see it end with like, as he's confessing his love, Madalena is being seduced by another man, and so it almost feels like a joke on him. Um, in a way that was really, really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe he's even more willing to be vulnerable because there's the distance there. Um, and yeah, this one felt the most Antonioni-esque. To, I mean, the movie is very... This is Fellini's most Antonioni-like movie, in my opinion, of the ones I've seen. It almost felt more like an Antonioni movie than than a Fellini movie to me yeah, with absolutely. some of the choices but the the like declaration of love proposal of marriage that's then just immediately discarded for other people like the it's impossible to follow through on these big feelings and the searching for meaning was was really uh stark in this sequence yeah absolutely Ugh. and then the other thing I wanted to talk about in this one was the uh the the ghost hunting leading to Marcello <laughs> sleeping with Jane, the filmmaking there was really striking as well. Um, yeah, it had a very like noir I mean, yeah. obviously everything was lit by candlelight, so you, you get to play a lot with shadow there. But mm-hmm. it felt just like, what was the girl's name he slept with? Jane. Jane. Jane had those like striking eyes and that very characteristic hair and just like coming. I don't know. I I agree. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. And like the light sort of snuffs out when they go to sleep together. And there's like the the camera shoots from Marcello's perspective on one of the last shots. And so it it made some interesting choices there that I was like, whoa, that's interesting. <laughs> wow. Um, it's is stands out from the rest of the movie that's mostly shot in a more straightforward way. I agree. Yeah, it was it was fun. I think it added to the like supernatural idea of a ghost hunt. Yeah. yeah. We love a ghost hunt. Mm-hmm. 
All right, let's get to cycle number six here. So cycle number six is a weird one because it's set up by some sort of like isolated scenes uh, where you meet Steiner. Um, and so Steiner is a, like a friend of Marcello's who um, Marcello's really drawn to. In one of the sequences, you hear that he's pretty depressed and quite concerned for his children and their their future and um then the cycle doesn't start with Steiner it starts with Marcello and Emma having like this big blowout fight in Marcello's car Marcello like hits Emma to get her to leave the car and then he drives off and then Emma's like collecting flowers there sometime later and he comes back for her and then you see them in bed together afterwards and Marcello wakes up in the dawn receives word that Steiner has killed both his children and then himself um and so then he goes and visits sort of the scene of the crime and talks to the police and then goes and tells Steiner's wife about it while paparazzi like crowds around um so yeah wow heartbreaking yeah i um who i i did not talk about steiner um you know in a scene before this where you kind of meet the second time you meet steiner where he has the party um and the kids like creep out you see this really beautiful love that he has for his kids. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the kids are breaking the rules. They're out after bed, but he runs towards them with affection. Like, there's definitely this, like, this very special love he has for the kids to a point where this murder-suicide, I did not see coming in the slightest. I have I have yeah. nothing to say about this. There's, like, not nothing to say about this. I have something to say about everything. But it's, I... I did not see this coming. I don't really understand like how it even got there. Maybe that's the point. Maybe it's supposed to be like this, like very sobering what in the world just happened experience. Yeah. Um, so he, well, the, maybe I'm also something. in that sequence, he had a conversation with Marcello after his kids show up at that party. He's talking to Marcello and talking about like how, hopeless he feels how depressed he is and he expresses worry for his children like growing up in this twisted world basically and like not wanting so i think from his perspective it's out of love that he kills them because he doesn't want them to have to experience the heartbreak and the loneliness that the world has to offer super twisted it's super twisted too because okay, just like thinking through the logistics of them dying, mm-hmm. he presumably has one gun, so it's not that you know he kills them immediately in their sleep, but they never know. Like he has to shoot one, presumably the other one wakes up, and then he shoots the other one, having mm-hmm. so the child one at least one kid dies knowing the darkness in this world because the darkness is their father murdering them. Yeah. You know, so like, what is he actually saving them from? Yeah. I think like, if if you agree that there's darkness in this world, you show your children 
the goodness in the world, which is the love that you can have for one another and the love that you can experience in the world. Like, yeah, I, okay, I have a, oh, infanticide, I can't. There is like, sure, darkness, like whatever you want it to look like, it exists. There are bad things in this world. Mm -hmm. As a parent, like you protect your child by steering them towards what is good and making your home and your family a safe place for them. And to uh okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna start yeah yelling <laughs> i <laughs> so like i understand that that that's a big tangent but um yeah. i don't relate at all to that that feeling like what he did was at all a twisted way of looking at protecting his children yeah i mean um, it's, he, it's clearly like mental illness but yeah that's his justification i think in the movie for well his justification is crap and yeah. i don't accept it i i totally agree <laughs> with you just trying to explain what what was going on <laughs> you're wrong uh, steiner. i'm not defending steiner you I'm sit just there in your wrongness to... and you be wrong <laughs> so yeah and i think it's it's handled somewhat tastefully in the movie where you just sort of like find out about it secondhand you don't see any dead children you do see dead steiner you see the um, dead children do you i missed yeah it. there's oh. a point where um the, the it's thankfully not the paparazzi it's the medical examiner's team of photographers uh <laughs> like have because the two kids sleep side by side in a room that's like uh, then their beds are like surrounded by sheer curtains. Mm. And you see at one point they pull the curtain back for his little boy to take a picture of his body laying in the bed. And then they drape the curtain back down. Um, mm -hmm. So you see them him briefly. It's not up close. Um, and what I did appreciate is that there was very little blood like this. Like you said, mm -hmm. this wasn't meant to be this like exhibition of murder and gore. Um, yeah. they, they showed as little as they possibly could without being like overly graphic. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, cause Steiner, you just have like a little trickle of blood out of his temple, like just a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. and then they cover him with a sheet. So like, but you see it, I yeah. don't know. Mm -hmm. I, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. So, and then. I wanted to talk about the paparazzi throughout the movie, but it was most stark to me in this scene. So actually the origin of the word paparazzi is from a character in this movie, paparazzo, uh, just fun. It but is fun. They're always showing up throughout the movie at the most like inappropriate moments. So the confrontation with Robert, when Sylvia and Marcello come home and Robert slapping Sylvia and beating up, uh and and they're like very invasive in that scene like robert's asleep in his car and they're like posing him in different ways and all of this stuff and then the most inappropriate when marcello's going to tell steiner's wife about the tragedy that's happening the paparazzi are like following him and trying to get the perfect shot of this thing and just felt really i mean it's really cynical but yeah it's almost and it's almost judging us as an audience as well of like we want tragedy and drama and yeah. that's what sells you know it, it's really interesting as a as a theme and a layer in the movie yeah i agree cuz it's not like um 
And I, yeah, you see this kind of progression of the paparazzi from being, you know, following Sylvia around, which like totally makes sense. You're, you're going to go for the glamour yeah. that, you know, or even the scene where like Sylvia's boyfriend hits her and then beats up Marcello. The paparazzi are right there. Like they even <laughs> at one point say like, Marcello, put your hand down so we can see your face. Like they are constantly there and the subjects just ignore them. You know, they don't pull a Britney with an umbrella at the windshield. OGs will know that reference. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't do... Nobody, like, acknowledges the paparazzi. Nobody tells them to shove it. Like, no one... They don't... In in this scene, like, the the police officer and Marcello don't try to find the wife and, like, bring her somewhere secluded. Like, there's no level... Mm-hmm. of acknowledging this like incredibly intense invasion of privacy or invasion of even sense of like autonomy over one's life and how it's presented um in a, in a way that's like yeah i agree it does make you kind of look inward at just like what how much invasion of um like, how, yeah, I don't know. How much do mm-hmm. we as a society demand of the stories of other people? Yeah. And it's really, I, I was just going back through the cycles and thinking about this. Really, the paparazzi are quite present in the first three cycles. So mm-hmm. uh, the introduction, the Sylvia stuff, the Madonna sighting, they're all like there and present and covering things. And then it turns to more private stories in cycles four, five, and six with the blowout fight. And then it like comes back in what should be the most private moment right. um, of the movie. And so it's, yeah, it's like judging us for wanting those private stories to be told and wanting those private moments to be public to us at least right it's, yeah it's really uh structurally sound the way it's it's done throughout here so but also you get to a point where like i think that i remember being like whoa these paparazzi are crazy during the sylvia scene mm-hmm. and then i remember being like whoa these paparazzi are crazy during the uh steiner's wife scene mm-hmm. and i don't I didn't really like I knew they were there in every other scene, but I wasn't like affected by them. But they're constantly yeah. there. Like you said, like you kind mm-hmm. of just cut to a point where you become numb to their existence or like, oh, yeah, just like part of it until you realize like in the Steiner widow scene, like the de- the, the depths of the depravity and, and the mm-hmm. completely inappropriateness <laughs> yeah. of um, or complete inappropriateness of their behavior as culminated it's like it's like a, a a volcano that's exploded of just like oh wow ooh, that's yeah. that's not good but really yeah. they've been there the whole time there's just no limit to what they will go after yeah yeah Ugh. all right time for our last <laughs> cycle cycle number seven uh marcello and friends break into a beach house they have this really sad drunken party where Marcello is just completely unraveling and some of his friends sort of are too he's wearing um, eyeliner also... <laughs> let's just <laughs> he also he's has got... some he has some gray in his hair 
which is oh, interesting. Well, this is, but, so it seems to take place much later, perhaps. But yeah, it's like he's just like he's he honestly, my first thought after this scene was like, I wonder what Marcello, like if there was were just like 20 years later or even 10 years later in the height of like cocaine as a party drug. <laughs> what Marcello would be like like he looked like a like a Miami nightclub owner in this yeah <laughs> uh so anyway then he tries to like initiate an orgy and thankfully thankfully for us doesn't happen uh but then he's like riding this woman on on her back while she's crawling around on all fours and throwing pillow feathers into the air and ripping and off her leaving. dress yeah like it felt very um i mean she was moderately consenting but it felt really really uh, she was also like blackout drunk yeah it seems like so not not great not, not really great moderately life. consent yeah. yeah it felt it felt really really um sexual assaulty yeah yeah and Ugh. thankfully nothing uh further happens and the party sort of simmers down and they go out to this beach at the dawn and there's this discovery of this dead sea creature that seems to be not an actual sea creature from my research they uh <laughs> they invented this sea creature for the purposes of the movie um and then uh, Marcello sees Paola, who's this, like, younger girl um, who we've met in, like, an earlier scene that's outside of the the cycles. Um, but they're, like, across the beach from each other, and they can see each other but can't hear each other. And Paola's doing these gestures that Marcello can't understand. And then eventually he like walks off while she's waving goodbye. And that's how uh how the movie ends. So um we so the the evening is obviously the the sort of tragic downward spiral of Marcello. I do think it's partially to show how like maybe the repetitive nature of the cycles to some degree, but especially cycle six with Steiner's murder suicide has like broken him as a person and he's just in full like psychological breakdown mode um in the sequence um but yeah just showing like his descent into badness yeah yep Ugh. and then Ugh. this ending again is a little like mystical magical sort of thing so Paola uh, Marcello in the earlier sequence mentions that she looks like an angel and is sort of like creepily hitting on her. Um, yeah, she's like 14 years old yeah, and you're she, a nasty, nasty young. old man. Um, so, yeah, he asks if she has a boyfriend too. Ugh, yeah, it's terrible uh, in the earlier sequence. So that made me uncomfortable. This then though does seem like he mentions that she's like an angel and she does seem maybe to be like the presence of the angelic or divine here at the end along with this mystical sea creature that's been discovered so it's almost a hopeful note to end the movie on after the real like plumbing the depths of depression evening stuff right so. I don't know, man. I yeah. Uh yeah. 
maybe he doesn't deserve a happy ending. And that's yeah, okay. I mean, and then yeah. I and he doesn't really to, get one. He doesn't get one. But you know, you find yourself wanting him to have one because mm-hmm. the world deserves him to not be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the women he like covers in feathers and rips their clothes off deserve for him to not be a jerk to them. Um but he's just gonna keep on keeping on, so maybe he'll die alone. <laughs> I love it. I want him to have a happy ending so he doesn't hurt more people. <laughs> yeah. That's a fun way to think about it. So I mean, um, honest, but yeah. I just hope Emma's out there being a little hottie and you yeah. know, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that time. I <laughs> want like Emma, uh, Madalena and Sylvia to all like team up. Can we get the a like team up movie where they go and like fight crime or do a heist or something? Like a That'd like a really John fun. Tucker must die or a First Wives Club or yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, have you seen either of those movies? I have not. No. Um, First Wives Club is just delightful. Mm. Is yeah. it about a a group of uh, first ladies? and ex-first ladies no it's about like women whose husbands have like divorced them for younger women uh, oh that's fun yeah it's got goldie hahn in it i'm pretty sure i haven't seen it in a while but it's just like fun ladies being ladies you know um we love yeah. ladies being ladies um <laughs> yeah so any final thoughts on this movie um like it's fine i mean i i it still wasn't my favorite i don't mm-hmm. like it as much as i sometimes like movies after saying i didn't really like them and then talking about them for an hour makes me like them um mm-hmm. i thought it was really beautifully shot um i understand why it's on the list although it probably wouldn't get one of my votes but i get it um, I'm excited to see his other movie that's on the list. I'm excited yeah. to go to Rome and explore and romp around. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I was I was looking up um, like movie tours for Rome, mm-hmm. um, and of course they have like a Dan Brown Angels and Demons and a, a Gladiator one, but they have one specifically for La Dolce Vita, and they'll like take you around to different places. I don't know if like they talk about the movie production or if it's just like places within the movie but how fun is that um so much fun we might be a walking tour kind of people uh, for some of our time in rome anyway so i mean yeah this movie's fine i'm not gonna watch it again but i'm excited to see the other fellini film on the list yeah i think you'll vibe with that one more um it's it's a little more new wavy um so yeah i love a new wave i've really been enjoying a new wave yeah yeah you have so Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, I I enjoyed going through the uh, all six of the cycles with you. I feel like a couple of extra things uh, clicked seven for me cycles. as we were going through this one. Oh yeah, the the seven cycles. That's right. Um, yeah, this one I feel like needs like and has had books written about it. Like it's so opaque and complex. Um, so hopefully we did an all right job unpacking some of that. But um, yeah, I uh, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, time for 2001 A Space Odyssey Fact. Yeah. Um, Hannah, I have restocked on 2000, 
one of Space Odyssey. So proud of you. You were they were getting pretty stale. (laughs) They were. I rewatched it this week because I've run out of like uh 20 facts about 2001 a space odyssey articles to mine for things so i was like okay i just need to rewatch it and make up uh some of my own facts so i've done so i think i got like 10 to 15 out of it and so that'll keep me going for a while here um so the the crew of discovery one which is like the voyage to jupiter that hal is on they do this radio interview with the crew of Discovery One, and they mentioned before the radio interview starts, it's like a U.S.-based uh, interview of the crew who's already gone on their voyage. And they mentioned that it takes seven minutes every time they ask a question for them to answer the question. And so, like, each time it switches back and forth, that was uh, seven minutes. And so I was curious how long with the interview it would have taken. And so I counted the number of times that it switches back and forth. And I I discovered that this day that they conducted the interview, they were sitting for at least 133 minutes of silence. So, you know, maybe they were like playing chess with Hal while that stuff was going on. And so I'm sure they weren't bored, but it, it certainly <laughs> took a while to conduct this interview. What if like they didn't hear them when they answered or like like oh i'm sorry i don't can you clarify that <laughs> could you repeat that <laughs> yeah I don't know. i'm sure that that happened and that the radio broadcast has been had been edited down or maybe not because this is a piece of fiction and so no <laughs> actual radio interview was conducted but in the world of the movie maybe it took even longer <laughs> sure sure well that is an interesting fact brian thanks yeah um subscribe to this (laughs) podcast if you haven't already uh we love you and we want you to love us also rate this podcast five stars um because it helps us feel good and i can be followed on blue sky on twitter slash x slash dying social media these days it's really uh it's really going downhill recently yeah advertisers are ditching it um so i don't know that that will be a relevant social media platform for much longer but (laughs) i can be followed there while it exists uh hannah where can you be found today um you know how like when you pick up a conch shell and you can hear the ocean you did this one already did i yeah oh well i was gonna say if you pick up like a hermit crab shell and you just whisper what a picture into it i'll get that i'm i'm fairly confident you said that already that's fair i i do not come prepared with these these are off the cuff okay let me think of another one um bungee jumping (laughs) don't ask questions that's just that's just that it is what it is (laughs) bungee jump if you go bungee jumping you can reach anna also um i looked through uh our spotify for podcasters spotify wrapped and there are 14 people out there in the world where what a picture is their number one podcast Yeah, on Spotify. And to those 14 people, we have a secret prize for you. So if you are one of those 14 people, you can either whisper what a picture into a hermit crab shell, or you can find Brian on Twitter or X or wherever the place is. And we have yeah. a special prize for you. I don't know what it is yet because I... Don't know if you 14 people will reach out to us. <laughs> but if you do, we'll figure something out. Um, 
this podcast yeah. is not you know we're not about like reaching the numbers we don't do much promotion mm-hmm. we're we're here for the fun of it and if it's fun for you then that's great if it's not that's fine too we don't have to be for everybody honestly let me tell you about life in my 30s yeah i am 32 I always say every year I get older, I like myself more. But I think just like finding a lot of peace and knowing I'm not for everybody and not everybody's for me. And that's how I feel about this podcast. Totally. You know? And yeah. I love that. That's fine. I don't have to be your person. I'm my person. I'm Brian's person. My dog's person. It's great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we love you guys. Yeah. What are we watching next week, babe? We are watching Contempt. So mm. another French New Wave, Jean-Luc mm. Godard film. Mm. It is available on Criterion through the end of December. So we're going to try to uh, fit it in before it, it leaves. So try to try to catch it on there and we will catch you on the flippity flip. 